tragic circumstances that we cannot understand. And God, I, I pray for those who are struggling with illness right now that, um, that nobody knows about yet. No one has told us because they're struggling in isolation. And God, I just pray that for every single person who has a hurt, God, I just pray that, that you, would, you would be at work in their lives physically and emotionally. And God, I pray that you would be at work in us as a church as we are still learning how to love other people and how to care for other people. And God, I just pray that not one soul would slip past our notice of, of hurt and pain. And God, I just pray that uh, even in the midst of us trying to figure out how to do small groups when we can't meet together in a, in a facility, God, I pray that we would still be loving one another and looking for ways to encourage and to lift up and to support. So God, may you just continue to teach us how to be the church. And we promise to continue to try to learn. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. this July 4th, you've picked a great day to be here, actually, because we are starting a brand new series. And this brand new series is called Backward. Um, and we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, let, let, me, let me take a quick survey. This is so laid back. It's almost, uh, we talked about this last week, it's kind of like a little bit of a seminar. So <laughs> um, that's the feeling anyway, because I can actually see you. So I feel like I'm in a classroom. Um, so here's some questions, and just either a response, either nod your head yes if the answer is yes, or you can raise your hand. If you feel really brave, raise your hand. Um, how many have heard something along these lines? I get better by doing better. Have you ever heard that concept? Does that sound familiar? I, I can get better if I'll just do better. Okay, let, okay, good. I saw some hands. I mean, I saw some nods. Here's the bootstrap method. Most of us have heard this. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? You've heard that. Okay, great. Okay, good. Um, uh, okay, fill in the blanks for me on this one if you've heard it. If it's to be, it's up to me. Yeah, if it's to be, it's up to me. Okay, yeah, I've heard that one too. Now, there's a Christian version of all of those, and it goes something like this. Fill in the blanks. Say it with me if you, if, if, uh, if you know this one. Uh, God helps those who help them. Selves. Yeah, right. We've all heard those, haven't we? Uh, here, here's a thing. I have this feeling in my life that I need to do good so I can be good. And if I'm doing good, if I'm making good decisions, then yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm in that process. I'm in that journey. Do good to be good. There's something inside of me that I feel like I need to require more from myself. Something inside of me, and y'all may not all have this dysfunction, something inside of me says, Harley, you're not good enough. You need to do better. You need to try harder. You need to make better decisions. You need to, just so much. It's, it's really, if I start making that list, it's pretty endless. 
Harley, you need to do better. You need to do more. Um, now, here I think, as I was putting this together, I think here's a reality, at least for me. It's kind of a reality of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, do better so you can be better. Uh, if it's to be, it's up to me. Um, God helps those who help themselves. All of those things fall into this same category, I feel like. And the reality of it is this depending upon myself. If it's to be, it's up to me. Pull myself up by my bootstraps. Um, of all of those, that may be the one that resonates with me the most and maybe resonates with most of us the most. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And it's all about depending upon myself. Now, here's the little light bulb that went on for me. The reality of depending more upon myself is one phrase, and this is pretty significant. The phrase is this. It's self-righteous. And I know that doesn't sound, that doesn't sit well. <laughs> because we are a people, especially if you have grown up in this area, we are a people of we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And, 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 and actually, in thinking about it, that's probably one of the reasons why Ronnie is having a little difficult time right now with his new knee. <laughs> I can talk about him because he's not here. <laughs> knee replacement. And for maybe the first time in his life, he's having to depend upon some other people for some help. That is so hard for us. It's very difficult for us to depend upon other people. So now let's take our minds off Ronnie because I'm not calling Ronnie self-righteous. He's not. I'm talking about me. This whole concept of do better to be better, pull myself up by my bootstraps, that is all self-dependence, um, dependent upon myself to make things happen, get things done. And if you take that, because... It, you know, it's not wrong to do better. And it's not wrong to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? That is not wrong. But when we take it to the extreme, that's when it becomes self-righteous. That's when it becomes, I'm depending upon myself. And in that case, when I do take it to the extreme, and I have often, when I take it to the extreme, I have become my own worst enemy in that moment. Because when I am being self-righteous, that means there's something inside of me that's good enough to depend upon for all answers. When I'm depending upon myself, becoming that self-righteous, self here's another word for that, another phrase. Self-righteous is about the same. It's about equal with self-worship. Now, that's what brings us to our topic for today because we have been designed and created to worship. God actually somehow, I don't know how, he's inserted that into our very DNA. This desire to worship something. We're all driven to worship. The question is, what do we worship or 
Who do we worship? That's the question. Now, let's say that, uh, so we're sitting inside a building where a church meets, and today it's Stuttgart Harvest Church meeting in this building. Cole is with uh, folks in Malvern, and so he's meeting in a building where the church in Malvern meets. And let's assume that, that many of us in this building and many of us in the building where Cole is, let's assume that we have chosen to worship God. Because and that, that's why we're here. We're trying to figure that out and trying to move closer in that direction. So let's say that many of us. Now, if by chance you're not here to worship God and you're still just kind of checking things out, and maybe you've been checking things out for years and years and years, and that's okay. Keep checking things out and keep exploring that with us. But if you have chosen to worship God... And let's say we've chosen to worship God rather than a relationship we have with another person. Let's say we've chosen to worship God rather than a person or rather than a position like uh, our work. I worshiped my work for many, many years. Let's say we've chosen to worship God rather than uh, to worship a hobby or something else. Let's say we have. We still have a propensity to slip back into the rut of doing good things so that we can see be seen by God as doing better. Even if, so let me say this again, even if we have chosen to worship God instead of other people or things or hobbies, We've chosen to worship God. We can still slip back into the rut of doing good things, maybe for the wrong reason. Doing good things so that maybe God can look at us and say, oh, he is doing better. And that's slipping back into that rut of do good to be good. We have that, I mean, we're here today, many of us, to worship God. But yet, if I look at my life this week, how many of the things that I did, did I do so that God would look at me with more favor? Do good to be good. And sometimes, it's not do good to be seen by God so that God can look at me and say, oh, yeah, he is doing better. Sometimes, it's just so that someone else can look at me and see, oh, he's doing better. He's doing better. So it's do good to be seen better. Well, it's easy to slip into that. Now, here's what I want to say. All of that to say this. I think that may, if I think about it, and I look at America, the United States, as we're all doing on this July 4th, that may be the norm. That may be normal for a Christian in the United States to slip into that rut of doing good to either be seen by God as doing better or to be seen by other people as doing better. Do good to do better or do good to be seen to do better. And that seems to be the norm. We have a tendency in the United States to think of worship as something that we do on Sundays. Worship is what happens 
when the church gathers on Sunday. But it's interesting to me that according to God, worship is actually not an event at all. And according to God, worship is not something that you can schedule on a calendar, actually. And so that's why I want to jump into this passage. And this seems like a weird passage for us to use on worship. And you'll see why in just a moment. Colossians, this was written, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians. This was written by a guy named Paul. Um, Paul uh, was a Jesus hater. And he saw Jesus face to face after, uh, and actually the experience blinded him, after Jesus had risen from the dead. He saw Jesus alive. And that's when he became a Jesus follower. He was like, wait a minute, I've been killing and persecuting all these people because of this lie. No, he's actually alive. He saw him, and he became a Jesus follower. Here's what Paul wrote a letter to these Corinthians, and here's what he had to say. Now, he's speaking to believers here. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, he says, Run from sexual sin. Now, I know this seems like a really weird passage to use when we're talking about worship. <laughs> but it'll make more sense as we go further. But so if the norm for us is to do good to uh, be better, do good, be better. It's strange to me how we have another norm as American Christians today. We actually have a norm of running to sin instead of away from it. Now, I'm, I'm thinking we're in good company because I have a feeling that God had Paul write this letter because the believers that Paul was speaking to, they had a problem maybe of also running towards sin instead of away from it. Now, as I began to think about that, I thought, okay, here, here's my pattern. In the moments in the seasons of my life when I run towards sin, during that time, Right after that, after I've run towards sin, I feel really bad. I mean, guilt. Guilty. Because I am guilty. And what is my first thought after I have run towards sin is, ooh, i got to do better. i got to do better. And in that case, for me, I can't speak for you, but for me, I say I have to do better because instead of running away from sin, I ran to sin, so I need to do better so that God won't be so angry with me. Do better to be seen as better. Or do better to be better. It's all the same. So we have a tendency, if you're anything like me in American Christianity, we have a tendency to run towards sin at seasons, not all the time, during seasons, run towards sin, and then we get guilt, we feel guilt, and then we try to do better to make it up to God. Sometimes it's do better, sometimes it's give more, or sometimes it's, you know, you know what I'm saying? It, you, I think you understand. So why in the world would Paul say, Besides the obvious, that it's sin. But why would he say, run from sin? And in this case, very specifically, he's talking about sexual sin. But we know that sin, any sin, run from sin. Why in the world would he tell us to run from sin? Why not just play around with sin a little bit? I mean, after all, that's what I did. So what's the harm? 
because I could do better and make it up to God. Why, what, what's the big deal? And here's what he says in verse 19. He says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? Now, here's the thing. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I, I want you to know, you're kind of off the hook on this. You don't even have to run from sin. I mean, honestly, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're off the hook. But I, what I want to let you know is that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then here's what's going, this is part of what's going to transpire if you choose to become a follower of Jesus. Here's what happens. Your body, he says, don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? If you're not a follower of Jesus, that's not the case. You don't have to worry about that. And here's the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. The moment you become a believer in Jesus, you become a follower of Jesus, God's Spirit literally, I don't know how it works, but this is the way it's always described in, in the New Covenant, literally moves in if you're a follower of Jesus. Wow. Apparently, we don't get points with God for worship. Apparently. God's not really even keeping score. We don't get, we don't get God points, God seeing us as better because of worship. Because worship really does nothing for us at all. Because it's not about us. No God points. I think what we're going to discover is worship is actually, it, it is a response that we have to the amazingness, the awesomeness of God himself. It's a response that we have to him. And if you're a follower of Jesus, what we just read from Paul, your very body is the temple or the house of worship for the Holy Spirit. And this blows my mind. Your very body is where the Holy Spirit resides and lives. So if we don't worship God to gain points, then what is it about? I think we can use this statement. When we come to the place where we realize how great God is and how good God truly is. When we realize how great he is and how good he is, then there's something inside of us that wants nothing more than to follow him and follow his every direction. Something wells up inside of us. Here's how Paul kind of begins this next phrase. He says, you don't belong to yourself. You don't belong to yourself. Now, why in the world... Do we not belong to ourselves? He has given us free choice. We get to choose. He has given us this gift of life. It is ours for as long as we have it. Why do we not belong to ourselves? And what he's getting ready to say is if you've chosen to become a follower of Jesus, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You do have the freedom of choice, but you have now also, you have, uh, you have, uh, the responsibility to choose correctly. 
You don't belong to yourself. He says, verse 20, For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Now, here's what he's saying, I think. We don't belong to ourselves. I feel like I belong to myself. But the reality is, if I've chosen to become a follower of Jesus, I actually, literally, belong to him because he bought me. And I was there at that exchange. Because something inside of me, in the moment that happened for me, something inside of me knew. I, all of the good in my life was still garbage. There was nothing in me that was good enough to take care of what I needed for eternity. I couldn't do it. Something inside of me knew that he paid a price for me. And that price was him, his death on the cross. He paid that price. Um, and if I choose to become a follower of him, there's a change of ownership. I was the owner of me, and now he's the owner of me. I made that exchange. He made it possible, but I agreed to it. And I say, now you're the owner of me. And that's why when you look on the back of our connection cards, that's why we've chosen um, uh, to be pretty clear That we say, I'm making a choice to give my life to Jesus. I'm giving it to him. And, and the reason we can do that is because he bought it. He purchased it. This change of ownership, that's the thing. He, so, so he's saying, you have been bought with a price, and he's now my owner. Sometimes you hear me describe uh, how, uh, and I, especially with teenagers when we talk about how uh, we're making Jesus the boss of our life. And in this case, he's the boss or the owner, the manager of my life. I was the manager, now he's going to be my manager. I was the boss of me, now he's going to be my boss. And in this case, this morning, Paul's saying, we were the owner, now he's going to be the owner. And he paid that dear price. I, you know, there are some things about that movie um, Mel Gibson made, uh, uh, The Passion of the Christ. Some parts of that movie, the, the whole movie, I, it, it's a great movie. Um, but for me, I remember we rented out uh, uh, the, the movie theater uh, in Missouri. And we were giving out tickets, just, you know, and our whole church gathered in three or four of the different theaters there all at the same time to watch this movie. And I remember going in, we bought popcorn and drinks, because, you know, it was movie time, popcorn, drinks. But I remember sitting there with my drink, and I remember thinking, oh my goodness, as I began watching, I couldn't understand what they were saying. I don't know Aramaic. I was having to read it along with everyone else. But I began thinking the closer that he got, and then they started the torture. And I remember thinking, I'm, I'm here in entertainment mode. Got my soda, got my popcorn, and I'm watching a representation of what Jesus went through when he died. It was the first time for me personally that it set, settled into my heart of the, the horror of what Jesus chose to go through. I don't think, for me, up to that point, there had been a movie that portrayed 
the gruesomeness of that torture that he went through. Before he ever made it to the cross, I had heard people talk about that it was miraculous that he even survived that because most people didn't survive. Most people didn't get the beating Jesus got and crucified. They got one or the other. And a lot of times that beating ended in death. Jesus got both. And the way it was portrayed and that sacrifice to see the, the flesh ripped from his body, not just little scratches or cuts, but they, they turned him into an unrecognizable human. And then, then they put him on the cross. I know in all of our paintings and drawings and pictures, we have a, a Jesus who is on the cross you can't hardly tell and the things we've seen of what he went through physically through the beating but he also has on that nice loincloth they didn't do that to humiliate the criminal he was naked and here we have Jesus who has been beaten unrecognizably and then placed upon the cross to the scorn and the abuse of the very people he was dying for. And all the blood, while his heart was beating, that was in his body, drained out. And once his heart stopped beating and he was dead, no more blood drained out. But every bit of blood that drained from Jesus is on my hands and on your hands. Every bit. And as I think about the sacrifice that Jesus made for me, when I realize that I've been bought with a price, when I realize that it was my sin, the very sin that I have a tendency to continue to run toward today, my sin, when I really begin, and I'm going to say, I don't think I'm there. Because if I really understood that, I think I would hate my sin more. I think I would have in my mind, how can I do this evil against God? The very thing that landed him, that didn't land him. The very thing that he chose to make up for in my life, to pay that price for in my life. How can I do this evil against God now? That he did that for me. And I think one day, it is only when I realize that purchase price for my life that my heart will then cry out I am his and I wish to live only for him for him alone because I am covered in the blood of Christ and I don't think most American Christians are yet to that point here's the truth when and if 
we get to that point, it is all backward. If we get to the point where our heart cries out that we love Jesus more than we love our sin, it's backwards. It's backwards from American Christianity. It's backwards from the church in the United States of America. Because that's not how Christians live today. At least not in America. It's backwards. We have a tendency to find some good things inside ourselves. Just enough, you know? We don't think we're great. We just don't think we're that bad. <laughs> we know we're not excellent. We just don't think we're that bad. There's enough good in there. I mean, I'm not all that bad. Yes, I, I'm following Jesus. But I'm not all that bad. That's our tendency. And if I'm really following Jesus and I understand the sacrifice that he chose to make for me, I have to understand that's, that's all wrong. Not only am I bad, but the truth is Jesus is my only good. He's my only good. And so my decisions that I'm making today, they are not making me a good person. They can't. I can't be good. I, I can't do good to be good. Because I can't. That's how bad I am. My decisions that I make are not making me a better person. Here's what's happening. My decisions that I'm making are worshiping him. They're not making me good. Because I'm not good. My decisions that I make are not making me a good person. My decisions that I make are worshiping him, not making me good. So I think what Paul is going to be telling us here as we move on is that worship is calculated not in songs, although I love worship songs and we use them every Sunday, right? I love them. But our worship is not calculated in songs. And our worship is not calculated in spiritual activities. Our worship is not even calculated in gathering together as a church on Sundays. Our worship is not calculated in us being good to be good, doing good to be good. That's not calculating. That's not how God adds up worship. But that's what most, I think, American Christians believe today. Jesus calls us to be backward from the norm, backward from what is normal. So rather, our worship, I believe, is largely calculated in our decisions that we make, but also in the motives that drive those decisions. Every single decision that I make, I believe, is measured and it is weighed it is judged by God as either worship to Jesus 
or it is measured and it is weighed and judged as worship to someone else or something else. Every decision. And then every motive behind every decision that I make every single day in life, every motive, my motive behind every action, every decision is measured and weighed and calculated and it is either then laid at the feet of Jesus as worship or it is tossed out with all the other garbage of my life as worship to something else or someone else. And that's what I think Paul is driving at when he says, none of this belongs to us. Let's hear what Jesus has to say about worship himself. And here's what he has to say. And it's recorded in Mark. It's one of the biographies, the Gospels. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there. Now, a teacher of religious law. There was everyday citizens. Um, and then you had the teachers of religious law. And then you had like the real high, high ups guys. Okay. Who, who uh, were the ones, all the ones making the big decisions in the temple. Okay. Teacher of religious law was pretty high up. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. So Jesus, some, uh, some people had engaged Jesus in a debate. This guy was standing off to the side listening. He realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, and there were 613, of all the commandments, which is the most important? This guy asked Jesus. Now, this is important to know. This guy was not trying to trap Jesus. He was not trying to trick Jesus. He was not, he really wanted to know. He was really asking. Jesus answered all these questions. He did really well. And so he's like, oh my goodness, I need to ask. And so he asked, which one's the most important? He really wanted to know. Wasn't trying to trick him. Verse 29, Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. And then I wish I had time to spend time on this phrase, but I don't. Because there's a lot of history to this phrase. And Jesus says this, and he's quoting now. Jesus is quoting. It's strange, he's quoting himself. <laughs> because he had this written in the Old Covenant. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And verse 30. And here's the commandment. And you must love the Lord your God. That's the most important. He said of all the 613 commandments, if we're going to narrow it down, that's what you asked me to do, Jesus said. If you want to narrow it down, here it is. Love God. Love God. That's the biggie. Love God. In fact, you need to love God more than you love anything else in life. When I was a child, and I heard this, and I heard it as a child, I could not comprehend. How do I love God more than I love my mom? My dad, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but my mom? How do I love God more than I love my mom? I didn't understand it. I don't know that I yet do. 
He said, number one commandment, love God more than you love anything, any person, husband, wife, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, child, child, child. I, I, I can't tell you how. I don't know that I'm there. I, I could just say, that's what Jesus said. The most important commandment is you're going to love God more than anything else. But then he tells you how, but I still can't tell you how. He says how. Here, here, here's how. With all your heart, this is how you do it. With all your heart, you, you, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. There it is right there. That is a direct quote. That's how you love. That's how. How do we love God? How do we worship God? And Jesus said, here's how. With your all. With your all. Jesus, God, is not satisfied with some love. Not at all. He is not satisfied and will never be content. He will never be happy, okay with. No, never with a divided heart. I have a hard time using this phrase because I, it doesn't make sense to me. But the Bible talks about how God is a jealous God. And to me, I hear jealous. I, I mean, I, I, it doesn't sound all that great, all that smart. But, but he's not, never going to be content with a divided heart, with sharing my love that should be for him with anything else or anyone else. He'll never be content. Sharing the love that belongs to him with a hobby. Sharing the love that belongs to him with my love for work. Sharing the love, yeah, I'll, hey, I'll give him all my lawn mowing love. I don't want any of that. But he's not going to be content with sharing love that belongs to him with anything else. He actually requires that he be loved first and that he be loved the most. All my heart. That's what he says. All my heart. That inside of me, anything that I desire, when you look at the new covenant and even the old covenant, it kind of it comes from a deep place that's just kind of summarized as our heart. I am to desire nothing more than I desire him. I'm not there yet. I struggle. He says, that's when you love me. That's when you worship me. When you desire nothing, all your heart, nothing more than you desire him. And then he, he ups it. He says, and also, by the way, all your soul. Not just with everything you desire, but everything, that part of you that's looking through your eyes right now, that's your soul that's going to live forever. And if we're talking about forever, then this part that it's looking through, your body, he says, love me with that part, even that part that can die, that part of your soul that lives forever. You know, the people that he was saying that, was, that, that were listening to him when he, when he said this, 
most of those who were following him, certainly the, the disciples, but many of the other people who were following him, they all died horrible deaths because they, because they loved him with all their soul. That part of them that says, I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing to die, love you to death. And he says, yeah, by the way, that's not enough. Also, all your mind. And this is a struggle. Again, back to America. The, many parts of the world, they don't get to entertain their mind the way we do. Because they're worried about how they're going to feed their families. How they're going to live through the day to get to the next day. But we're in a position where, goodness, we get to entertain our minds. And we get to sit down and dream up ideas and thoughts and go make them happen and go create things and go invent things and go do things and just think things and then go do them. We have the, the time and the luxury to pick up a book and actually read it. Parts of the world, they don't have that luxury. They don't have time to learn to read. They're trying to figure out how we're not going to die. So we'll be here tomorrow. We get to actually read. And God says, I want you to love me not just with all your heart and everything you desire, not just with your soul, which is your whole life that goes on into eternity. He says, I want you to love me with your whole mind. We have this tendency to feel like, if you're anything like me, that we can solve a problem. We can figure it out. After all, we're the bootstrap people, right? We can figure it out. Pull ourselves up by the bootstrap. We can figure it out. We, can, we, we have intellect. We have some smarts. We have, we have enough. But we don't have enough. If I'm depending upon my intellect, my ability to figure things out and make it happen and get it done, and here's what I'm being again. It goes all the way back to where we started. I'm being self-righteous. I'm depending upon myself. Oh, I can figure it out and I'll get it done. And, and the extreme of that becomes my enemy. Somehow I'm convincing myself that really I can save myself because I'm not all that bad. I'm not all that bad. I don't need all of his help. I do need some help, but I don't need all of his help. Now, that guy over there, he needs some help. I just need some help. And when I admire myself and my ability to figure things out on my own, I'm not in a position to love God. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, one of the greatest blessings that can occur to us is to be made to think little of ourselves. One of the greatest blessings that can occur to us is to be made to think little of ourselves. So I think this is pretty much a fact. The more I think of me, the less I think of God. The less I think of me the more I think of God. Then he goes on. He says, all your strength. So let's just call this our action, the things we actually do. 
all my strength. So that's action. So when I'm loving God with all of my heart, my desire, all of my soul, my life that goes on into eternity, all of my mind, it's going to lead me to love God with all my strength. That's my action. It compels me. All of that compels me to do something. Now, this is where we go back to the beginning. I don't do something to be loved by him. I do something because I'm in awe of how much he loves me. Let me say that again. I don't do something so that he'll love me more. I do something because I'm in awe of how much he proved his love for me. And do you know what? He proved his love for me when my life and my decisions were screaming, I hate you. He still proved his love for me. And so there it is. That's all I got. That's worship. According to Jesus... That's worship. That's what it really is. And I have yet to get there. I have yet to get to that point. Do you know why I know this? Because there are elements in my life that still love sin. But I want you to know, this is where God's taking me. I'm still on the journey. This is where he's leading me. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this is where he's going to lead you to if you choose to follow him. And, and if you're in this room today, and I think you are, if you're here with me, this is where he's leading you as well. And this is where God has called us as a church to go together. Stuttgart Harvest Church, that's where we're going. We are on this journey to discover how we can love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. That's where we're going. This is our A, number one, top core value is to learn how to worship God with everything about us, heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is where we're leading Stuttgart Harvest Church. This is where we're leading the church in Malvern. That's it. And it is completely backward from American Christianity. This is our number one core value. And I'm just letting you know, I haven't made it yet. I am still in the process. I am very much in and on this journey. And I know this, I have been bought with a price. I have been purchased by the very real blood of Jesus. And he chose to empty out all of that blood because he loves me.
And I feel like this, not having arrived, I have a feeling that even if I had arrived there right now, even if I could get to that place right now in my life where I love Jesus with all of my heart and desires, all of my soul that goes on into eternity, all of my mind and my thoughts, all of my strength. If I could and if I were there, I feel like I would still be agonizing because I weren't loving him enough. He bought me with a price. We have one next step we're going to ask you to take with us today. Will you just simply read the Gospel of Mark? That's where we took that passage, that quote from Jesus today. Would you just simply read that this week, the Gospel of Mark? But we don't want to read it for information. I hope you'll read it. And something inside of you will cause you to respond to God. Not so that he will see you as good. But something will respond in you, will respond to God to give him more and more and more of you. More of your heart. More of your soul. More of your mind. More of your strength. I think that we can know that we're worshiping God and God alone. When everything that I have, I see it as God's and it's at his disposal to use however he wants. And yep, that includes all my money, his. God, you use that however you want, it's yours. I feel like I'll know I'm worshiping Jesus when I see my time as his and he can use it however he wants. I feel like I'll know that I'm worshiping Jesus when I look at the relationships I have in my life and I say, Jesus, those are yours too. Use me however you want inside of those relationships. I think I'll know that I'm worshiping Jesus with the way he wants me to worship him when I look at the stuff that I have. And I say, Jesus, all this stuff, it's really yours. I'll do with it whatever you want. You tell me and I'll do it. I think I'll be worshiping Jesus with my all when I even look at my emotions and I say, Jesus, even these are yours. Everything about me. Every decision I make throughout the day, it's worship. The question is, is it worshiping God or is it worshiping me or someone or something else? And I hope as we read the Gospel of Mark this week, we'll ask ourselves that question. How am I living my worship? Let's pray. Jesus, when he asked, you replied in all sincerity. First, you reminded him that the Lord God is one.
that you are the Lord alone. But then you said, how? We must love the Lord with all of our heart. Every desire that we have in our life. We should love you with all of our soul, our life, our very life. From the beginning all the way through eternity. With all of our mind, every thought we have. And with all of our strength. And Jesus, man, I haven't, I haven't done very well. I've loved you when convenient. Jesus, I've loved you when I need something from you. Jesus, I've certainly loved you on Sunday when the church gathers. But Jesus, that's not my all. I think about how I would feel if I only was loved by my children because of what I gave them. How I was only loved by my children if, if they wanted something from me. But yet, Jesus, that's how I have loved you. And I ask that you would continue this journey of teaching me how to give you all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, and all of my strength because I can't do it. In the name of Jesus, I ask this on behalf of our church. Simply to thy 
cross I cling while I draw this fleeting breath when my eyes shall close in death when I rise to worlds unknown and behold thee on thy throne, rock of ages, cleft for me, and let me hide myself in thee. of a better song to end with than that. Oh, I'm so glad you've been here today. I've been missing my family when we didn't get to see each other those uh, couple weeks. It felt like a lot longer than that, but I'm glad you've been here. I hope you've been encouraged today. I hope you have uh, not been beat up or stomped on your toes because we're all on this journey. We're all on this journey. I, I don't know anyone this side of heaven that has arrived at all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. But may we stay on the journey and not depend upon ourselves. To This is a journey where we can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. This is a journey where we are dependent upon God's Spirit to do what only God's Spirit can do. So I'm not going to teach it again. I'm going to stop right there. And I just simply going to pray for us and um, and then we'll be done next week we'll be here again for sure for the breakfast but then after that we're not sure we'll see they're going to I believe they're going to be getting to work this week in the worship theater so we'll see after that let's pray God I am so grateful I'm so grateful for your sacrifice that you made even when my life in the future was hating you you died for me anyway and I'm so grateful. Thank you for having a plan from the very beginning, before the beginning. You already had a plan to redeem your world, to purchase them back, to buy them back. And I'm so grateful. May we understand more and more and more the sacrifice you made for us. And I believe it is that that will cause us to love you more and more and more. God, help us to do this backwards from what is normal for the American church. Help us to do this your way. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.